Again, let's go to the little epistle of Jude. Little epistle of Jude, please. It is only one chapter, but we'll lift a few verses out and continue on in the subject of having or having not the Spirit. Having or having not the Spirit. Little epistle of Jude. Verse 16 says, These are murmurers, complainers, walking after their own lusts, and their mouth speaketh great swelling words, having men's persons in admiration because of advantage. But beloved, remember ye the words which were spoken before of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, how that they told you there should be mockers in the last time who should walk after their own ungodly lusts. These be they who separate themselves, sensual, take the note here, having not the Spirit. Having not the Spirit. But ye, beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. And of some have compassion. And of some have compassion, making a difference. And others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment spotted by the flesh. Keep your Bible open. Father, we ask you now to help this frail, feeble, mortal man with lips of clay. Help him to elevate, to exalt, to magnify, to glorify your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, may we this morning see him, and even as we have been singing his name, may we, Father, rejoice in our heart and in our spirit in this great salvation he brings and the victory that he has wrought for us, the place called Calvary. May we fall in love with him all over again this morning. Hearts that have been weary, Hearts that have been mournful, hearts that are tired, Lord, people who are carnal. We ask you, Lord, for every single situation and every person in them, Lord, that you would meet them this morning at the point of their need. For those who have backslidden and heart to some degree or far away, we ask you, Lord, that you would draw them back into the way this morning. We ask you, Father, that you would speak clearly. Speak loudly. Speak even with a still small voice that will guide your people into the right path. And Lord, lead us plainly in the way which we should go. Guide us with your eye, we pray. Father, this morning, we just want to worship you and praise you and thank you and bless you and exalt you because of him, the Lord Jesus Christ. So help us this morning to see him afresh, revelation anew, that we may fall in love with him. The Lord Jesus Christ, in his name we ask it. Amen. Amen. You know, we have looked at this and and looking at having or having not the Spirit. We looked at a word, I don't want to go through it all, but remember, there were men who came into the church. There were not only men and women who were outside the church, but there were men who came into the church. And at this time, they had started to bring maybe what we would term today as modernism into the church. Modernism, or where many of uh, so-called uh, churchmen would claim that Jesus never walked in water, 
that Jesus wasn't born of a virgin, uh, that even maybe Jesus didn't fully die. And they try and modernize, as it were, the gospel with, with thinking not of what the Spirit says and what the Word says, but rather they try and get a, a mindset to fit in with the world today and science and, and so on. And so they try and they water down the gospel where the Lord Jesus turns water into wine. Men are turning the wine of the word into watery gospel. And they're doing exactly the opposite of what the Lord Jesus would have did. They came in, they crept in on a words we're told, and when they crept in, and we have looked at this, it means they sneaked in the back door almost. That's the sort of idea it gives. And when they came in, as it were, the back door, not literally, but, you know, uh, figuratively, when they came in the back door, it's as though they started separating themselves off with different ideas, with different values, with different thoughts, with different feelings. All the things that they held started to murmur among the people. It caused the people to murmur. And then it caused others to complain in ministry and work what God was doing and where God was bringing them. And this started to really fracture the church in general. So the epistle of Jude is a fiery cross to rise, to rise the church, one old uh, Puritan once said. And it really did more, he says, for the church at this time than many of the theological discourses that went before. Because the church found itself at a critical point and at a critical stage at this point in time. And I could see that in the church today. I can see that even in our own assembly today. But I can see that generally in the church today, where if you go and you were to look up many things that's going on, we find not only modernism has come in, where the miraculous of Jesus has been put away with, but the moving of the Spirit has been pushed out of the church. And the things that are supernatural to men and women, they just seem impossible. But what we remember is that which is supernatural to you and supernatural to me is only natural to God, for he is a supernatural God, for he is a spirit. He is spirit, as the Lord Jesus says to the woman at the well. He is supernatural, and so we must take the Bible also, and it's not only literal, but a supernatural and a, and a significant context that when the Bible says a whale or a great fish swallowed Jonah, then we must believe that exactly because that's what happened. It's not pictorial, it's not figurative. And if the Bible told me that Jonah swallowed the whale, I'd believe that too because it's the word of God. So we have to believe the word, not man's theology or philosophy, I should say, not man's ideology and not even churchianity. Sometimes we've been taught things and there have been simple things and that's good. But then it comes to the crux of where we are in God, where God's bringing us, what God wants to do. And in our own hearts, we start to have that dampened by men's uh, thoughts and men's desires. And it starts to quench the spirit limits the Holy One of Israel. And next thing we know, we end up with a social club. We end up with a gathering together of because that's what we do on a Sunday. It ends up with ritual and sacraments and ceremonies and, and, and another sacrifice altogether. Rather than being in the Word, moving in the Spirit, and loving the Lord Jesus Christ with a heart relationship and a heart fellowship with Him. Here we have men and women coming in. And they were turning the church. They were turning it around that, well, you know, did he really rise from the dead? It only seems like that. Did he really? 
Or maybe, did he really do those miracles? Was he really like that? And they're starting out of their own desires then to teach people, it's all right for you to go and live how you like and do what you want. It's okay for you to heap onto yourselves treasures and put Christ on the back burner. It's all right for you to live a life of sin and debauchery because, look, it's all under the blood and we're all living in grace. But grace is not a license to sin. Grace is an empowerment for God's people not to sin. And that's the idea that we must always remember. And these people were really, they, they were turning the congregation upside down. They were murmuring from house to house. Now we looked last week at the word here, murmuring. And we looked at it when we were in Bible study quite a lot of weeks ago. And we mentioned it last week. Let me kick off from here. When they were murmuring, it just doesn't mean they were having a little murmur and having another little murmur. The idea is that they go into a mindset. Israel murmured. Exodus 15 starts Israel murmuring in the wilderness. And it's not that he just says, oh, well, we've no water to drink and oh, we've no food to eat. Because if you had no water to drink and you had no food to eat, well, then you would murmur too. Because that's what we are. That's what we do. We murmur because things don't seem to be going the way we think they should. We murmur because things are not the way we like them. We murmur because God is testing us. God is trying us. God is taking us, fashioning us, molding us, even breaking us to the place where he will make us into something that he wants us to be. But we murmur in it. And that's a natural humanistic thing. But where are we spiritually? Where are you in the spirit in that? Look, I'm preaching to myself here this morning as well as preaching to you. I'm speaking to myself as well as speaking to you. So when we're in that place on the potter's wheel, when we're there and he's turning us and he's molding us and he's making us, oh, it's going to be a beautiful vessel and all this sort of stuff. Yes, but don't forget your head might go light as you spin around. Don't forget that before that, the clay was well beaten before it was put on the wheel. Don't forget the, the bits of gravel and stones and little bits of twigs and leaves that was dug out of the riverbank was taken out of the clay before it was even placed upon the wheel. And he beat it and he beat it and he beat it to make that pliable. So maybe you're just in one of those stages, but nevertheless, maybe you're on the wheel and God is working and God is moving and you are conscious of it. But at the same time, maybe you're a little bit spiritually lightheaded for you don't know what way you're going. Trust the heart of your father. Trust the heart of your father this morning. And when you trust his heart, his heart is towards you. His heart is for you. His heart is for your good and for your benefit. His heart is to bring you into a purpose that he has purposed within himself even before the foundation of the world. And he's bringing you to it. You and I could never make it. You and I could never get there. You and I could never understand it. You and I could never achieve it unless he does it all. Unless we yield to him and let him bring us to where he is bringing us to. Unless we get on that wheel and lay ourselves before him to be pliable in his holy and almighty hands. And that he will fashion us whether we're in a spin or not. Listeners, many a time my heart, my head is in a spin. Don't know what way to turn sometimes. We all should turn to Jesus. We know that. But being a human being, sometimes we don't know whether we're coming or going. We don't know whether, as we say, we're blew up or stuffed. But either way, 
We know that he's in control. We know that he is sovereign. We know that he's still on the throne. We know that he has us in his hands. And when he has us and our circumstances and our situations and all the things that are trying us and all the things that we're going through and all the things that are facing us, our mountains, our valleys, our highs, our low, our light days, our darker days, whether we're in the shadows or in the very mountaintop of glory, it doesn't matter. You're in the hands of the potter. You're in the hands of your father. Trust his heart this morning. Trust him. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not to your own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy paths. In other words, when we yield ourselves to him, our murmuring will leave us. These men came and murmured. Started the people murmuring. Remember, Israel murmured. And the idea there is the murmuring, it means to go into a place and stay there. Remember, Lot brought the angels in and Sodom brought them into his house. says, stay in my house for the night. He wanted them to stay until the daybreak. He wanted them to stay because at night time, there was a lot of sin and ungodliness. And there was sodomy and there was all sorts of filthiness and debauchery that were happening. And listen... Two strange men walking into a place like that. Well, sure, that was, uh, there's the new boys in town. Let's go see them. And that's what they did. They came to the door. says, open the door that we may know them. And the word know there is that we may know them as a husband knows his wife. And Lot says, stay in all night because he knew the dangers. And he pleaded with them to come into his house. And the idea is, Come into my house. And it's the exact same word lawn. And the word lawn is the word for murmuring too. Lot says, come in, come in and stay in this house all night. It's the exact same word. To stay in a place. To stay in a, in a, in a, in a covering. Or to stay in a certain way. So stay all night, he says. And here, when Israel murmured in the wilderness, it gives the idea they went into a place and stayed there. In other words, they are in a vast wilderness. But in their mind, they were fixed. In their mind, there was no shifting. In their mind, there was no moving them. In their mind, they were beat. There was no water. There was no food. Yet God had separated the seas for them and brought them down upon the Egyptians. Yet God had, in, the, in, in, in Egypt, he had brought the, the plagues in. And God had delivered them through the blood of a lamb. And they're seeing all this, and they're on the other side of the bank, and they're shaking their tambourines, and they're singing praises unto God, for God of Christ, the waters unto the, the rider in the sea, that is the horses and the riders in the sea. And all of a sudden, 12 days later, not even 12 days later, they're murmuring before God. They're going to a mindset. Brother, sister, can I ask you, have you went into a mindset? A mindset that God's speaking to bring you out of. A mindset of unforgiveness. A mindset of bitterness. A mindset of hurt. A mindset of unpliableness. To repent means to change your mind. Be not conformed to this word, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And the word of God should renew your mind and bring it back into the line of the word of God. That mindset needs to be broken. And the only mindset and place we need to stay in and be fixed on should be Christ and his kingdom and his glory. So here they were murmurers. 
The idea here in the Greek New Testament, that's in the Hebrew, transfers over and is slightly different. And it says where it murmurs, gives the idea of doves cooing. Now you might say that's quite nice to hear two wee doves cooing. Well, I'd love to stick two doves cooing outside your bedroom window all day and all night and see how long you stick it for. It'd be all right and you can put up with it for a short period of time. But then all of a sudden you'd be either letting the cat out or you'd be opening your window to chase them and put you away in the head. That's the idea. They drive you insane. And brothers and sisters, when we go into a mindset of murmuring, we're like those doves. You can put up with it for a while, then you drive people insane. You drive them insane. Here, the idea is that doves are cooing, and it gives the idea not a loudly spoken cooing. It gives the idea that the satisfaction in their heart is so known, it overspills them. They go into this realm and this sphere and this mindset that they can't get out of it. And everything that they're given and everything that is tried and everything that is applied and everything that is done and everything that they're helped with and everywhere they go and everyone they speak to, they just want to murmur, 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 murmur. You know what the word of God says this morning to that mentality? Do you know what the word of God says to men and women like that? Having not the spirit. Having not the spirit. Brothers and sisters, if you're in Christ, you have the spirits. We must watch ourselves of the mindsets we allow ourselves to get into. We must watch ourselves of the murmuring we may allow to come forth from our lips. We must watch ourselves the state of heart that we allow. Because that state of heart will lead us to nowhere but darkness. Here they had crept in. And Jude says, they don't have the spirit. In other words, that's not off the Holy Ghost. Ask ourselves in all of our lives, what I have just said, how I have just acted, how I have reacted, what I have just thought, where I have brought myself, what I have done, how I have treated that person. Is that me having the spirit? Is that off the spirit? The desire of my heart, have I the spirit? Notice this, it says there, murmurers. Notice the second one here then, complainers. See the word complainers, it's made of a big compound compound word. Mencithoimos, Ross, and it means to find fault with. And also the second word means a part or a lot of. So in other words, it means it blames and it complains about their lot that they have received. How many of us go before God and say, Lord, I want to do what they're doing. That's okay. That's fine. Have aspirations for the things of God by all means. But how many of us go before God and say, Lord, 
Why are they doing it and they not? That's different. Lord, how come this one has this and this one has that? How come another one has a fancy car and a big, a nice job and a big house? Listen, brothers and sisters, maybe they've just worked hard. Maybe they just worked hard. God will bless you in your position, in your place, in your lot. But here's the thing. If you're not faithful in the small things, how can you expect God to give you something? If you're not faithful in that, you won't be faithful in the bigger things. And if you've run with footmen, as it were, and you've got tired, how will you contend with horses or in the swelling of Jordan? God gives us little bits. Boaz had handfuls of purpose dropped along the way for Ruth. And when she picked them up, she was being blessed every step until she got closer to her great Boaz, one in whom his strength is named means. And when she got close to him, then she fell in love with him. And when he fell, it was in love with her and she was in love with him. He brought her into his banqueting house and his banner over her was love. She received the fullness of blessing then. But if Ruth hadn't been out every day, now take note, if Ruth hadn't been out every day receiving, if Ruth hadn't been out every day walking, if Ruth hadn't been out every day collecting, if Ruth wasn't out every day following, then she'd never have got close to Boaz. She'd never have got near him. She would never ever have had the fullness of it. Boaz was dropping handfuls of purpose. He even says to his servants, he says, keep dropping them. Drop more for her. He's blessing her and he's blessing her and he's blessing her and he's blessing her. And she's picking up and receiving and picking up and receiving. What if Boaz had says, drop handfuls of purpose for her and she would have just stood there and picked a little and says, ah, well, maybe I'll come again tomorrow. Maybe I'll try another day. You know what happens? Someone else picks up the blessing. Someone else picks up the blessing. And she comes back and it's not there. God is pouring out handfuls on purpose for you. Every day. Look for it. Seek it out. Search it. Gather it up. Don't complain of your lot, but rather take what God has given you. See the good in it. See what God has blessed you in it. Live on it. Till he brings you into the full blessing. It's there for you. It's there for you. These men were always complaining, complaining, complaining. It means they were discontented with what they had. I was thinking of this word this morning, early. It's just meditating on some of these things yesterday and this morning thing about men complaining but I mean men and women because ladies I could see you all starting to nod your head there yes I know you just complain all the time I was thinking of an uncle of mine 
And he wasn't well for quite a number of years, but every time you went to see him, he was always laughing and joking, and he always looked at the positive. And I used to say, Uncle Jim, how do you keep up in good spirits? He says, well, when I look around, he says, there's always somebody worse off than me. And I'm glad for my lot. So one day, my Uncle Jim took gangrene. And in his, if that was his foot, from the big toe to the wee toe, they cut a V out. It looked like a bird's foot, if you know what I mean. Cut that part out of his foot. Bandaged him up, and that's how he healed, like a V-shape in his foot. So I went to see him and said, Uncle Jim, how you doing? Oh, I'm great and all, and there's always somebody worse off than me. So another year or two, he took out again, gangrene the other, and he got his other on the other leg, and he got his leg cut off below the knee. And he had walked in, and he had lifted his leg up, and there was the kneecap and a wee tiny, maybe four-inch stump, and he waved the wee stump at you. And he had laughed. And I says, Uncle Jim, he I don't know how you keep your chin up so much. He says, there's always somebody worse off than me. So he took terribly ill away after that and he ended up with six heart attacks and the one visit to the hospital. And this says, we don't think if we move me, he'll just die. And he revived and he went home again. And again, there's always somebody worse off than him. One day, Alex and I were walking through Forestside Shopping Centre on a Saturday afternoon. And I hadn't seen him in quite a, quite a while. And there was my aunt Kathleen, my mum's sister, pushing the trolley through the shopping centre. And my uncle Jim holding on to the trolley. And you could tell, you know, he, he was good on his leg, but he had also the other foot. And he was a bit shaky on it, but he's walking slowly and walking up. And Alison, I says, Alison, there's my uncle Jim and my aunt Kathleen. Come on, do I say hello? And I went to walk over. And I says, Uncle Jim, and I stuck my hand out to shake his hand. And he lifted his arm up, and his arm was cut off below the elbow and there was a stump there and he wiggled it at me and started laughing <laughs> and I says Uncle Jim he says ah oh, sure there's always somebody worse off than you isn't that right <laughs> there's always somebody worse off than you when we look at our lot sometimes we think our lot's the worst and maybe God hasn't been good to me and we start to complain. Let's from this morning think, Lord, I'm thankful I'm not a Christian in Syria at the minute. Hello? Or Iraq? Or maybe India? Lord, I'm thankful that I have a nice warm building to come to and not some squalid mud hut with a tin roof if it has one. Lord, I'm thankful that when I get up in the morning my two legs will hold me on the floor. You're so good to me. Lord, you're so good to me. I've been thankful the last few nights that I've had a roof over my head. And the wind and the rain's been beating down. I'm thankful I have my wife and my children. Here these men were coming in and they were complaining about their lot. 
I always used to say two things. One, for those who get into a mindset who want to complain, come with me on some of my visits. I'll take you to the cancer unit. I'll take you to the cancer unit. You can hold someone's hand while they say their last breath. And tell me you're getting it bad. Or two. Come with me. And I'll take you to a children's hospital. It's where we put our perspective. Most Alcorn's a nurse in the children's hospital. I've been in her ward. I wouldn't take that job for a pension and a half. I wouldn't take it for all the money in the world. I couldn't handle it. So next time I complain and say, Lord, I need to look at what you're doing. Let's look for him moving. Let's look for his blessing. Let's look for what he's done for us. Let's look at what he's given us. You know, sometimes we say, Lord, my lot in life. Watched recently 250 young Syrian Christians lined up against the wall by ISIS and shot in the head. They wouldn't deny Christ. And many of us would say, you know what? I was up late last night. I don't want to go to church this morning. And many of us will sit in the house tonight and say, I'm afraid of what? Listen, Miss X Factor, in case my favorite singer doesn't get through. Isn't that true? That's whom we've become. The church of the last days that makes Christ sick to his stomach. And that's the day that Jude writes about. And he writes this letter as a fiery cross to rouse the church. Brother, sister, what will it take for you and I to be roused in our faith for Christ? What will it take for you and I to say, you know what? I don't usually get up and do for him, but Lord, it's about time I did. What will it take for you and I to wake up to wake up. Wake up, O sleeper. Rise from the dead and Christ shall give thee life. Christ speaks to every heart. Every Christian, he says, wake up. The coming of the Lord draweth nigh, brothers and sisters. And Jude writes us to say, it's time for the church to love Jesus again. Here's the, here's the object of things. Here is the, the object of things is when we love something so much, we love that object. You love your children so much, you just love them. So the object of love, that's agape love. You love something so much, it's called out of your heart. And the problem is, when people fall out of love with the Lord Jesus... I want you to get me. I'm not talking about falling out of love with your brother, your sister, your wife, your husband, or whatever. 
when people fall out of love with the Lord Jesus Christ. Maybe you were never in love with him. It's time to acquaint yourself with him. But when we fall out of love with him, everything becomes hard. Everything becomes difficult. Everything we do, well, it's a drudgery. We don't really care much more for fellowship. We don't really care much more for his presence. We don't really care anything at all for his word. We just don't really want to walk as a Christian. We'd rather just fit in. I don't want to fit in. I don't want to fit in. Because I'm already in. I'm in Christ. And if I'm in Christ, I won't fit in. But when we fall out of love with him, if we as an assembly fall out of love with Jesus, if we have men and women that come in here who do not love him, I'm not speaking of the unregenerate now, I'm speaking about those who profess him. But if we have people coming in here who do not love the Lord Jesus Christ, I mean love him. And they don't love him. If we have you coming in here and we can't stir up your hearts to love him, Please don't murmur and complain because we do. When you love him, you'll do things you never thought you would do. When we fall out of love with Christ, we fall out of love with everything. When a man loves the Lord Jesus, he should love his wife. Brother, when a man loves the Lord Jesus Christ, he should love his wife. Amen. I don't think the brothers are too sure about that. Two of them are at the front anyway. <laughs> brothers, and a man loves the Lord Jesus Christ, he should love his wife. Amen. Amen. Love your wives as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. Sisters, want to hear a hard one for you? <laughs> Obey your husbands in the Lord. Hello? Ladies, now you're silent. <laughs> That's the word says that, not me. Because, brother, if you love her as Christ loved you, she'll fall in right behind you and with you and walk beside you. She'll love you like you could never be loved before. But different this morning, isn't it? So here we have love relationship and I'm going to round this up and I'm going to do another part next week and hopefully finish it next week notice this murmurers, complainers walking after their own lusts the word lusts it's a big word epithumia sounds like something you get a prescription from the doctors for An epithumia means a passionate craving. A passionate craving. And to open this word up, I haven't time today, but I want to just give you a little hint of it, and we'll start here in the Lord's will next week. It means a passionate craving. But it can be used in the, in the, in the tense it's used, and it can be used for good or bad. For good or for bad. You can have a passionate craving for good, or a passionate craving for bad. Let me give you just a couple of scriptures and you'll see them then. Turn with me to Mark chapter 14, please. Or rather, Mark chapter 4, excuse me. 
Mark chapter 4. Two verses of two scriptures. Mark chapter 4, please. Let your eye run down here. We know this is the parable of the sower, but as we're reading this, we're not going through it all just for time's sake. Notice verse 19. And the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches and the lusts of other things entering in choke the word and it becometh unfruitful. The Lord Jesus says there's seed that is sown in one of the parcels of ground. He says that that seed, the cares of the world. Now take note. The cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches. What's the next thing? On the lusts of other things. Here he bundles these together. Cares of the world, deceitfulness of riches. And he generalizes the lusts of other things. What other things, Lord? It means the loss of all things. It's the same word. The passionate desire of the heart chokes the word of God. The passionate desire that you have for something other than Christ will choke the word of God in your life. A passionate desire for whether it be whatever it be will choke the word of God in your life. Choke the word because you'll fall out of love with him. So here's a question for you. Do you love him? Do you love the Lord Jesus? Turn with me to Luke 22. This is our last verse. Luke chapter 22. This is our Lord with his disciples and apostles around him. Notice what he says here. It says here rather. Luke 22 verse 14. And when the hour was come he sat down. That's the Lord Jesus and the twelve apostles with him. And he saith unto them, With desire I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. See the word desire, it's the same word for lust. Here's the good sense. With desire. In other words, Jesus said to the twelve apostles, See the passionate desire of my heart. Do you see the very desire and will that I have within me? I'm going to the cross. I'm going to suffer. I'm going to bleed. And I'm going to die. I'll be shamed and I'll carry the sin and sicknesses of all upon that tree. But see before it happens. Do you know what my desire is? Just to sit with you. To fellowship with you. To talk with you. To eat with you. To commune with you. To fellowship with you. That I may just love you. And you love me. We need to get the desire of the heart of Christ. And the desire of wealth. Desire of riches. The desire of things of this world. Need. To be put behind him. And as the hymn writer said. The greatest idol I have known, whatever that idol be, 
Help me to tear it from thy throne and worship only thee. Brothers and sisters, let's put our own lusts, our own complaining of our lot, and our own murmuring from before God, and let us do something. Let us worship him who is worthy. And let's fall in love with Jesus all over again. May God bless his word this morning to every heart. Remember, you're in the potter's wheel. And when you're on the potter's wheel, you're in a good place. I go on the potter's wheel and I'm like you. I don't like it. When he squeezes me a squeal sometimes. And you squeal. Bless the Lord.